Hey, welcome back to The Craft, where we explore what we're learning about the creative process. I'm Colby, and I'm here with my friend Carter, and this is episode four of Creative First Principles, a four-part series on the building blocks of the creative process. Today, we're talking about sustain. Yeah, so this is our final episode of the series, and just to kind of catch people up on what the series has been on, Creative First Principles being the kind of building blocks or the foundational um, movements of the creative process. And really, we wanted to just kind of give this basic trellis, which a lot of our you know uh, subsequent conversations will probably center some way uh, in relation to these four major pillars or building blocks or however you want to conceptualize them, uh, which uh, each of the pillars are create, revise, share, uh, and then now we're on our final one, which is sustain, which I'm excited to talk about tonight. And so how we've been approaching these, we've taken our first principles and we're asking kind of first principle questions of the principles. So we've been going through what, why, how, where, and when. And so that's going to be the game plan tonight as well. Um, Colby, do you have anything to add about the framework that we're working with? Or um, I'm excited about tonight's topic. And if you haven't listened to the other three episodes then I would recommend going back, starting at the first one. And I mean, because it is a linear process. So you can listen to them out of order, but it's it's going to be best experience to go through one at a time. That's all I got. Sure. Okay. Well, our first question is, what do we mean by sustain? Do you want to start us off on this? Sure. So I think for sus- sustaining creativity is... I think you mentioned this before the call. I think I I were thinking about it the same way already, but uh, really there's sustaining big picture, sustaining for the long term of your career or in your um, life as an artist, and then sustaining in the, um, well, I guess there's sustaining like in the day-to-day of what what you're doing in your craft, maybe sustaining your work through like a full big project, an album, a book, a paper, whatever it is. Um, and there's kind of just more like the micro version of sustaining, I suppose, which is probably a lot of different ways that you could apply that, but how would you, like, how would you break it down? That makes sense. And so one of the things I was thinking about, and you even mentioned linear to begin with, you know, this process in some ways is linear. Like you create, you revise, then you share and sustain being, okay, how do we keep going? Uh, but in another way, it's not really linear because like we talked about with revision, I feel like we're constantly going back and forth with revising something, creating something, right? We might share something, get feedback, go back to revision, go back to creation. And so I think one of the ways I was uh, conceiving of this is that this process matures. It may not be quite linear, but it does mature. Like you're going to create before you share. There's no other way really around doing that. So there's definitely uh, a progression, a maturing of the process. Um, but you're kind of, you know, we might oscillate back and forth. And so as I was thinking about sustain, I thought about, and kind of how you said big picture, there's the sustaining that happens after a project, right? You work on something, you get it finally sent out. There's the share. And then it's almost like a recovery even like, you know, recovery after a heavy day of lifting at the gym or something like that. The next day, it's recovery day. What does that look like for the creative process? That's what I want to think about tonight. Um, mm-hmm. But not only that, sustaining is not just a step after something's done. Like there's also a sustaining that has to happen during the process and that it's present on every single one of the principles that we've talked about. 
you know, what does it look like to sustain during uh, during these other uh, processes, right, or during these other moments of the process? And so I was kind of in a very similar way thinking about the big sustain being the idea of recovery, but then also these little sustains, uh, which is, you know, mm-hmm. how do you keep the energy going? How do you keep inspiration going? How do you keep forward momentum? And so I guess broadly, what do we mean by sustain? We mean uh, what does it take to perpetuate, I don't know, to uh, keep endurance, to, I don't know, how do we want to say it? Some, the, how do you keep the fire burning for the creative process? Yeah, finish the race easy. kind of, you know, yeah. I mean, but I, I like what you added because I really missed the piece of like, if you look through this step-by-step, create step one, revise step two, share step three, sustain step four, then you can almost look at sustain as like maybe taking a break or pausing before you or doing whatever things we're going to talk about later today uh, to restore your your soul, your creativity before you go back to step one and create again. So I like that a lot because I kind of haven't hadn't thought about it that way before you said that. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was just thinking, I'm like, is this a cycle? Is it a step-by-step yeah. process that you rinse and repeat? Uh, or mm. is it more like, I don't know, like a compass face where we've got these four different things and we're kind of moving back between them almost? Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I'm reluctant to say this is I just like that image. Yeah, I don't know. I just kind of thought of that, but I'm reluctant to say it's just a process like we complete it, then we do it again, complete it, do it again. It seems more dynamic and we've talked about that. And so for sustain, yeah, maybe how does it fit? I think we've got to both acknowledge taking a break, revitalizing, and then also that sustain, uh, sus- I don't know, sustention, <laughs> sustention. Is that a word? Wait, that a word. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it is. Um, Sustaining. You- Hey, I don't know. How do you know what you're trying to move in uh, in the process? And so maybe, Colby, why don't don't you start? Like, do you take breaks after you complete a big project? What does that look like? I know that's something this year you've been thinking a lot about. Uh, And so maybe let's start there. Yeah, well, I I wanted to say something before we dive into that, if it's okay. I feel like I was just going to say I'm excited to talk about this because I feel like it's something that I'm working through, thinking through, or want to think through because of where I feel like I'm at in my life right now. You know, just feeling like with music, particularly sort of feeling like I have a weird relationship with it right now where I don't feel like I'm in the space I was when I started music where I was so excited and so fired up and so inspired all the time. And I feel more like in a place of, you know, trying to handle how much work can I handle taking on for other people and I, it's been a long time since I've really just made music for myself and kind of been very like playful with it and just made stuff. And I feel, I guess, a lot more like pressure when I make something now. And so I guess just like for me, I feel struggles of like staying inspired, not getting burnt out or overwhelmed or putting a ton of pressure on myself in music. So there's like a lot of problems that I feel, you know, psychologically, emotionally around creating and music specifically because it doesn't really affect me as much in like my work and marketing i feel like it's a lot easier for me to like bounce around different ideas and keep making new things and i feel more healthy the way that i sustain because i have to clock in at eight i have to clock out at the end of the day and you know i don't really 
choose whether I work. I just need to do it to get a paycheck. And, and with music and creativity, it's more like, you know, I do that on my own. So I just wanted to say, like, I feel like there's a lot of questions and struggles that I have that make me excited to talk about this because, you know, this is just us figuring it out. And I really want to, I do want to sustain for the long term. you know? So. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's great grounding the conversation um, into the process and into where we're at. And that makes me want to maybe talk about the in progress sustaining. So maybe not, maybe let's table the the big kind of post share. Um, okay. What does that look like? And let's, yeah, maybe sure. get into um, what it looks like to sustain during a project. And maybe I'll, I can jump into this if you want. Yeah, that'd be great for sure. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, the the notes that I kind of uh, put down were thinking about what are those things that are micro that help me sustain? I mean, the day-to-day things, the celebrating those little victories. Like, I mean, even down to like a cup of coffee in the afternoon or switching up the context of where I'm working, right? Going to a coffee shop. I was kind of dead this afternoon. And so uh, Cassie and I went off to a coffee shop and finished up the workday. And it was a big boost, right? I'm mean, just a changing environment. Um, you know, being mindful of being mindful that writing and working is an embodied process is really helpful for me because we're, we're in a place and we're working with things, you know, whether we're working with uh, different mediums on a computer, you know, a long hand with a pen and paper, all of these factors for me, they inform this ability to continue working. Cause I think the thing that I fight a lot is just getting, if things get too monotonous, I, I just, my momentum just screeches to a stop. Um, yeah. If, if I'm just doing the same kind of thing, it's just really hard for me to continue a, um, a big cohesive effort in one direction. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I'm always trying to um, be mindful of these little things that I can do that are like these little advantages. Like, okay, I, you know, it's in the afternoon. Maybe we can go somewhere else. Maybe that'll help. Um, or you know, maybe I've been working on this. I'm going to shift tasks. And so I, I try to look for those small things um, yeah. that can help. But that's kind of practical. Um, the less practical, more abstract thing is, I don't know, there's a certain grounding that I feel like I need every day. Like I have to like rehearse, you know, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? try to, I don't know, sanctify the day in a way, like set it apart and say, okay, this is the day that I've got. Like, what am I going to do with it? And so I don't know. I feel like I have to rehearse that a lot day to day. Um, and as you know, you know, sometimes I'm, I, it, to my detriment, scheduling is not very, it's not a strong suit because a lot of times I'm just focused on like the one task that I'm doing because, mm. you know, if we, if I get too concerned with everything that's due in the month, like it almost puts me in a paralysis in a way of I don't know which way to go and I'm going a hundred directions and I'm not, you know, batching or monotasking or doing any of these things. But if I can just kind of quiet my schedule in a way and say, okay, I'm just reading this book right now. That's what I have to do this afternoon. I don't know. Little things like that, I think, help keep me not only productive because productive is not the goal. Um, 
in itself, but it keeps me, uh, I don't know if this is making sense, but it keeps me um, attentive. Like there's intention still there. Um, I get to be active with it because uh, that's all I'm concerned about there. And so if, if we're thinking about sustaining through a, a process or through a project, I think the small things, taking time, scaffolding, um, they really help me. Uh, and so it's not like a magic thing that I can do. It's like, what, do, what are the things I have to do every day? Hmm. <laughs> I, and you right. helped me think about this some. Like we've talked a lot about like building habits. It's like, what are the things I need to do mm-hmm. every day um, to remind myself of why I'm doing it and to get that kind of fire in my belly and the thumos or that, that joy even? It's like you got to kind of prod, prod it until it, it happens. You know, it's, I don't know. That was a lot so, of rambling, but no, that was, there's things. some good stuff in there. I think, I mean, the, just the, the idea of taking small moments in your day, small habits and using those to move the project forward. Yeah, Cause that we, we are kind of talking about how this affects your day to day right now. I don't, the more we talk, the more I'm seeing this kind of interconnection. I mean, really sustaining for your career is kind of t- directly tied to sustaining your day to day life. I think, because I mean, uh, the way that you, you live your day-to-day life is going to be how you live your long-term life really, you know? And so it's, I think that this is kind of all interconnected, this idea, maybe we will talk about them in two different sections here, but I, I really like the idea that you just mentioned of how can I ground myself in this day and, uh, use it well and focus on a small habit. Cause especially something like a, a big project, which we've talked about before, uh, it takes a long time. It takes, you can't build a building in one day. You have to take, you know, the 10 bricks that you can put down that day. You lay those bricks and the next day you keep working and then eventually you have a wall, but you have to make 10 walls. You know what I mean? And exactly. so, uh, it really is just like a iterative process and a slow process that takes habits and, and consistency. Dude, and I think I that, love that that's metaphor. I really like that metaphor and just small interjection here. Like mm-hmm. it's finding that, meaning and joy in the 10 bricks that you put down, which mm-hmm. is hard. Like you got to get like really kind of focused on that because it's easy to say, okay, I've got 10 more walls to do. But like when you start enjoying the the process of, okay, those 10 bricks are in a row. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just helps me because I, the big picture can become quickly uh, paralyzing. Yeah. Small interjection. It just, you're on just a roll over. Down. Yeah. Just looking at the whole big picture of maybe a goal or a project for me, that might be, I'm making an album, you know, and I look in, and I say 10 songs and I know what each song takes. And so that can be overwhelming. And I really can't think at that level if I'm going to get anything productive done or not, not only productive, but just like a simple task done. Like, right. You know, so everything does have to be broken down into smaller pieces um, and to speak from where I'm at right now, kind of more on the struggling side of how this, how it's hard to sustain, I guess, uh, I feel like there's just an aspect of things can get heavy. That was one of the words that I read in this, um, this book, I pulled out this book today, keep going by Austin Cleon, who wrote steal like an artist. I think this is the second book in the three part series of books. And one of the things he said is that an artist can get too heavy with their work, they can get heavy and, and really just feel so much pressure 
on everything that they create, every little piece of art, every brick that they're putting down each day to the point where there's not any joy in the work. There's so much stress in your mind around how is this going to perform? How are people going to hear this? How is it going to be received? Kind of the the performance aspect of your art or maybe the uh, metrics online, the views and the uh, subscribes and those kinds of things. And you, your mind gets really clouded. And uh, the, the challenge of another quote from that book is that the, a person who's creative or doing art is always going to be there. Oh man, I should find it. But it basically said creative people will always be doing things they don't know yet. It, the idea that you're always going to be in a position of, I don't know how to do this if you're pushing yourself to actually be creative, which is kind of a, a weird idea because if you look at like the world, we prize professionalism or expertise in these things. And so there's definitely something to be said about expertise, but if you're going to tap into creativity, you kind of need this willingness to fail and look silly and uh, make something that's awful and do something you've never done before. And it's just easier and more comfortable to do the same thing again, make the song that sounds like the other one I made that I felt good making Um, Mm. so I think basically all that to say, he really dives in on that section about heaviness to say one of the best things you can do to break out of that is to play. And like, maybe that means practical example he gave was if you can't do, if you're having a hard time being playful with your painting or with your, your songwriting, try to make the very worst thing that you can make the worst song, the worst painting. And it's a fun way to just like remember all the things you know not to do and just do those and just screw around and kind of relieve yourself from the pressure. And then the other thing he said in that section was this idea of write a poem and then burn it, throw it away. Don't let anyone else read it and just kind of teach yourself, remind yourself there's value in just making something without sharing it, without putting it on my story on Instagram, without doing anything like that. There's value in just making something and then burning it and telling yourself up front that you're going to burn it so that you really can uh, do whatever you want and not feel any of that pressure to make something good. And uh, so I don't know, that's something that I also heard. I was at an arts feedback group recently and they someone mentioned the idea of just getting into a playful place and making something that was really goofy as a way to rekindle their creativity. And so I I've kind of heard this in two places over the past couple of weeks. And so it's like, maybe that's something that I could, I should really dive into more with music. Cause I do feel like I'm in that place where things are heavy and they don't need to be. Dude. I really like that. I, that's, I think that's a helpful idea. I mean, the, there's certainly a lightness that we've talked about. Even in, if you go back to right our first episode of creation, like uh, turning on the, the spigot, I think we talked about, I think you mentioned Ed Sheeran. Mm-hmm. Um, gave that example, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's certainly a playfulness that can be very helpful. And, um, I resound with your comment about, I think you said balance. And that was one of the things that I've written down. Like, it's really helpful for me just to get away from it. And this kind of gets into the bigger sustain, um, ideas, but go out, going outside and picking weeds or like cutting the grass, um, mm. is really helpful for me. I mean, just going outside and walking around with the dog in the afternoon, it's something that, again, grounds you in a place, and, and you're just, 
if you get so fixated, I feel like on the work, then you mm-hmm. it can it can really not be healthy. Yes, you need time and you got to spend deep work. Yes, but at the same time, if like if things are heavy, like you're not going to help your work by just making it heavier. Like you've get, mm-hmm. like go do something and remind yourself of where you are and the people you're around and the relationships that matter. Um, and like I don't know, I I see that as such a big part of the like sustain process. And, you know, one of my favorite poets, Robinson Jeffers, who have done a lot of work on, like he was a stonemason. He would write poetry and he would work with stone. And it was this like balance of like this extremely physical, manual, tactile encounter with the world with clear goals. And then like the abstract of that, of like writing poetry, uh, and I feel like there's got to be some like sustain to me. One of those key words is like a balance. There's got to be like a balance of playfulness, mm-hmm. right? You got to play, but right. you also got to take serious. If you're just serious, right? You, you're, you know, that it can become uh, self-defeating. Definitely, I love that. I'm a I fan. Love that idea of just breaking away from the work. I think that there's the idea of uh, breaking away daily weekly, you know, maybe like a Sabbath, like a Sunday, Saturday, um, breaking away monthly or quarterly, breaking away annually, breaking away every six or seven years, like a sabbatical kind of thing. I don't know. I recently read this book rest by, I don't remember who it was by, but it was a, a guy who's worked with a lot of startups in Silicon Valley, which is a very fast paced environment, very high output, high energy 80 hours a week, work week kind of, you know, culture. That's what he describes in the book. And he kind of talks about throughout history, all these different people who were successful and creative in so many different realms of life, whether it's Dwight Eisenhower in the war or C.S. Lewis as an author or whoever it is throughout history. He goes to all these people and he kind of draws out what habits they take. And a lot of the things, I mean, the whole book was about rest. It was about not working in all the ways that that is, is not like an optional thing, but it's like, he calls it the flip side of the coin. One side is work and one side is rest, but it's the same coin and that's your whole life. And so that book has been, I mean, there's so much I could go into on that, but he talks about sabbaticals. He talks about exercise, morning routines, daily walks, recovery. Mm -hmm. Like uh, one interesting story I'll share on that from that book. That was pretty crazy. I don't remember. I'm so I'm not very good at history, and so I don't remember which world war it was, but Dwight Eisenhower had this war cabin that he didn't tell anyone about except for very close people in his um, on his team. Like Only a few select people knew about this. There was no business, no phone, no calls, no communication. Um, and, I mean, this is in the middle of a war. There was actually a bomb hole in the ground near this cottage and it was on a golf course i believe and or it or somewhere with some open space and very secluded and he would go here pretty regularly and unplug no work was allowed no conversations were allowed there were no deal making or you know planning or anything happening here it was just a place for him to go and if it, i don't know if it was golf or what sport it was but he was just like playing games you know, maybe had a dog there reading, relaxing, doing nothing. And I mean, he's in the middle of a war and it's kind of that extreme example of like, 
I'm not in, you know, um, in the middle of like a war. And I sometimes feel like I don't have time to do that kind of thing of like retreat, um, or take a break or step away. So I, I, that was a pretty inspiring story from the book of just someone who saw the importance of if he's going to lead well, he has to rest, he has to disconnect. And it's because I think I can look at rest and unplugging sometimes as a little bit irresponsible in a way, you know, like you just need to charge forward. You just need to white knuckle it, work harder. Um, but that is not sustainable. It's not healthy. And you don't want, you especially don't want your leaders to just be the ones who are just driving and working so hard. And then they're pushing you and working so hard and everyone's burnt out. And you know what I mean? So that was, I know that was a long tangent, but that, that book just really like hammered all these ideas home to me, really inspired me. That's great. I mean, the idea that you can't be on call 24-7, and by being on call, like we, we don't have undivided attention to give. And like there's a limit of like focus, and we've talked about this before. Yes, you can focus and you've got to sit down and get through barriers to focus, but you can't spend the whole day focusing. It just doesn't work like that, right? And I love mm-hmm. the, the example of the coin. It's like even in our lives, we go to sleep, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, every day is a little uh, little death and resurrection in the morning, right? <laughs> every There's these rhythms that are in our daily lives, like you said, that get kind of expanded into seasons into years. Um, and I love that you, I love that we got down to the daily because you just can't stay locked on. And even in like a dire circumstance, like, uh, yeah, World War II or something, uh, with Eisenhower, I mean, how much discipline does it take to not be constantly on? Uh, and I love that you said, yeah, we can, we can look down on that. And that's just part of this. I feel like a lot of part of our culture of you got to be productive. You got to be productive, be efficient be efficient, right? Uh, put out uh, all these sort of things where if you tell someone that you took like a 15 minute nap in the afternoon, you're like, they shoot you like a dirty glance, like, oh, you took a nap. It's like, why do we got this? Like, why do we have this culture against naps? Uh, I love a good afternoon nap. Um, that was one of the chapters. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. 100%. No, I think that's helpful. Um, and so kind of expanding here to the bigger rhythms of rest for me, you know, being in academia for a while, you know, we have got mm-hmm. very specific rhythms, and that's part of what I really enjoy. Two semesters, a summer break, a winter break, yeah. right? And it's just a way that you can kind of work into, you know, I'm finishing a semester right now, and one of my habits is after the spring semester, I reread A River Runs Through It uh, by Norm McLean. And I just enjoy it, right? I've been, I've been thinking, I've been, uh, you know, doing literary criticism for whatever, eight months, right, as my job. Uh, and then I just come to this novel and just enjoy it. And it's a, it's like a shift. It's like a spring's happening. I'm getting out. I'm hopefully, you know, getting on the river, doing some fishing. You know, my schedule's becoming a little bit different. And that's just a time that I really enjoy. And it's important for kind of pivoting into the next year. And so kind of getting into some of those bigger post-project things, the summer for me it's just a really meaningful time to get into stuff that is non-obligatory, things that I don't have mm-hmm. to do, but I've been waiting to do. Uh, and so giving, I think, maybe working in space to be able to do those things that you like to do but you haven't made time for, mm. it can be really helpful, but you don't do it just to make yourself more productive, right? You do it because you need to, and it's healthy, and it's good. Um, yeah, I don't know. 
What are some of those things that you do? I mean, I'm guessing, I know you do some different writing, like more creative writing in the summers. Is that right? Some of yeah. that stuff? Yeah. A lot of it's reading based. I read things that I've been wanting to get around to, um, and I'll do some more writing. But then I also just enjoy doing things that are not school and not teaching. And um, yeah, I mean, the, getting out and about in the summer is just mm-hmm. so important to me, um, especially when it's warmer. Trying to get out and fish to me is like it's really important for my year. Um, in a way that it just, again, it's one of those things that takes you outside of what you're doing. It grounds you in a certain place with a certain task, with a different sort of uh, list of priorities, right? My priorities are like, okay, do I have the right fly? How do I cast to this position? Is that, a, you know, it's like, it's like, they're just so small and, and, and you can just think about them and you're suspended in a way where you're not in the uh, the constant pull of all these different tasks, you've got one task and you just kind of soak that in. Um, and so th- for me, the summer is a really helpful time. Uh, even if I'm just working and doing different tasks, uh, that is a big switch. And so I was going to say, right, that's something that may be more difficult for you to do because you yeah. don't have, you don't have a summer break in that way. I know I've, you got me kind of jealous right now. Cause it is, it is, a, I mean, you probably work at some capacity in the summer too, so it's not all that yeah. different, but there's not really like a off switch to the work. It's just kind of an ongoing forward motion for me. So that is kind of a different thing. And I'm grateful to be done with college. Like I don't want to go back, but you know, I do appreciate that rhythm. And I, I love that for you. It sounds like it's really, I love that you have a rhythm and habit even to the way that you end the semester. It's really cool. Yeah, and so I guess um, I'll kind of sum that up and say, you know, think about the ways that perhaps perhaps you can work in habits, large habits of work. I mean, that's just tough when you don't have, you know, complete control of your schedule. Like, I know that. And so mm-hmm. I definitely recognize that it's kind of a special thing that I get to do um, in switching into a different kind of work and schedule during the year. Um but still, I think it's worth thinking about what are those things that we do um, after something's completed? So what is your semester? Yeah. What's your big project? And how do you recover um, before you get into the next thing? Mm-hmm. That So I, one of the things I wrote down from the Keep Going book was this idea of, he talks about creative seasons of life. And I think that's almost exactly what you're describing right now, where you had a sort of it, maybe the seasons don't really map out to the actual season of the year, but the metaphor is like you've been working hard all spring long, working on or all winter and spring, working on literary literary work and teaching and doing a grading and all these kind of things. And, and then you kind of like shed your leaves in the summer, you know what I mean? Like creatively and you go dead on that work and then you're doing some other things, but all through that process of, a tree losing its leaves and then going through a cold winter and you don't see any growth happening, but it's there and it's slow and it is growing. It's staying healthy. It's being fed by the rain. It's weathering the storm. And then it comes out in the spring and it makes something new. And I don't know, reading that today for me was really encouraging because I was like, I can sort of feel discouraged if I'm not, you know, Oh, it's been a long time since I've put something out or, 
I don't really feel like I'm working on something big right now, or I just feel, and it's kind of like, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm just, I've shed the leaves and it's time to just exist for a little bit. And maybe I'll come back at another point and there'll be a lot of work that comes out for a time. And then it'll, I'll take another break and it'll be a couple years. And it, it's like, if you look at some of the artists that I really respect, I mean, Kendrick Lamar just dropped his announcement about the album. And I think it's been, I should look it up, but I think it's been three, maybe four years since his last album, I would guess. I could be wrong, but it's been at least two. And it's, I feel like, it. you know, you look at authors of books, how long does it take an author to write an 800 page fantasy novel or a sequel to a sci-fi book or whatever it is? It takes years sometimes, world building and crafting characters and, um, making movies like you look at all of these things and they are very zoomed out long-term projects you can't look at the day-to-day and kind of judge that person on well you're not putting out enough because they're working on something at such a different level and um so i think just that's just something that's been on my mind is like i don't want to feel like i'm constantly trying to put out work 12 months of a year i want to figure out how i can sort of have like an ebb and flow where I'm like, yeah, I'm not really working that much on music during these three or six months yes. because that's my off season. Yeah. And then I'm coming back at a different point whenever it's time. I've heard John Bellion does that with music. I, I think Andy Minio said in an interview, he was saying like that he, John Bellion will just be completely cut off from music for months and then play the piano for a minute, have a song idea, call the manager book studio time, like boom, 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 make calls. It's time to make an album. And it's just kind of like on again. And it's, I don't know, just hearing that was really cool for me. Cause I was like, that's, I don't want to constantly feel like I'm on the treadmill of creating content. I want to be ready to, to say something when there's time to be said. And you also just need to go back and live your life a little bit. So you have something to say too. Yeah, dude. I mean, I think the cultural incentives are more tangible stuff that's disposable i mean just think i mean think about Mm -hmm. what's incentivized on social media platforms more stuff okay you got something that was really successful more of it because that's going to last about 25 seconds if you're lucky on somebody's feed and it's gone like it's so cheap right it's so disposable like it's the i'm not on tiktok but tiktok's seems to be the most disposable of all the social medias like ephemeral the content is there it's processed, it's gone, it's into the void, right? And then you have to do something else because everyone's vying for this attention, for this tangible. And it's like, that is so outside of the craft. If we go back to our our title, it's like, you just can't, like, that's not sustainable. And that's a bad model of I'm trying mm-hmm. to make as much as I can all the time mm-hmm. and I can't even stop you know, I'm on that treadmill. I think it's a great analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look at anything. You, you have to have breaks worked in. Um, I mean, even with sports right. seasons, they have off seasons. Why? Because mm-hmm. they need it. It's not like you can just perpetually yeah. be doing something. Um, but I do think the cultural incentives are strong. I mean, the cultural sure. incentives are strong that you need to be producing and you need to be doing it right now. And if you're, if it's not working, the, the only solution is do more. Yeah. So I guess with that, sort of answered already, but when when do you sustain? 
Yeah. And so I feel like that ties in with what we're saying here. When do you sustain? I think for me, you know, I've kind of talked about a little bit in the summer and that sort of thing. Um, but even I'm, I think I'm learning that I need times of the day. Um, I did, used to do a lot more work in the evening. And thankfully, I've been able to um, get most of my work done now during the day. And that's been really big. It's nice to have. And that's even getting married has helped me, you know, okay, I need to have time in the evening where mm-hmm. I can just, I can disconnect. And that's been important to me. So in the evenings, are, are I try to keep those as free as I can. And the summer's a big one. And so those are kind of my two yeah. wins. Um, what about you? I think what's challenging is sometimes the evenings are my uh, time to get music work done. You know, uh, I've sort of started transitioning that a little bit to working from seven to eight in the mornings on music. So like waking up around six 30, working for an hour and then getting into my normal work, um, which has been a little bit better because I did, I know I've mentioned on another episode, I kind of tracked hour by hour when I was most energized and uh, inspired each day, really just energized. And I saw that it was consistently from seven to 12 or eight to 12 every day. And then there's this huge drop off in energy. So for me, I'm just learning more and more, seeing that pattern play out where if at five, six o'clock, like this time right now when we're recording in the evening after dinner is honestly not a really good, t- this is a good time to talk, good time to hang out and do something relaxing like this, but it's not the best time to try to sit down and like make a song sure. or do something creative because sure. I feel more just, I'm tired from my work day. It's getting later. I honestly just want to go watch a show or just like do something relaxing and soothing. And instead I feel like I have to kind of work a lot harder just to get myself to a good place. So I've just been noticing if it's not going well and I'm hitting some walls, it doesn't feel fun. It doesn't feel playful. It feels frustrating. It feels like I just want to get this done to get through it. So it's just a lot harder in the evening. So for me, I think I haven't even answered the question, but I think evenings I'm learning more and more are just I need to get better at really like setting evenings aside and saying best thing I can do for my creative and career and all of that and just life in general is to do nothing right now. Uh, Cause I mean, really for a couple of years, the evenings have just been that time where I've been like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to knock out that thing. I'm going to make that music. I'm going to call these people. And there's just all this. And then I yeah. have a whole laundry list of things I'm trying to do every single night yeah. of the week when I'm not doing something else like this. And so I, I'm trying to, for me, I can be more addicted to work, I think, and and struggle to just enjoy doing nothing for an evening. Yeah. And so it's just like there's a lot of growth that I could still do in this whole sustain area, I think. And then another one, I guess, is uh, I'd like to get better at uh, and continue to get, get better at doing s- Sabbaths pretty consistently each week and trying to unplug. Kind of go back and forth on like how seriously I want to do that, like do I consider music something that's restful or do I want to kind of, sure. you know, so maybe I work on music Sundays yeah. or do I say like, no, let's not, let's cut that off completely and really just go on a bike ride or do something yeah. with friends or hang out and relax. Um, so that's something I debate. And then I'm, I've been taking more or less, except for the exception of working on one song. I've really taken the last three months off of doing music and that has been really good. I might 
continue that for a few more months, but I'm kind of starting to pick up some other projects. Yeah. And so kind of, kind of trying to figure out that whole like creative seasons thing, like the longer break. Yeah. To figure that out right now. Dude, that's tough. I mean, that's tough because it's like, I feel like mine's prescribed, but you kind of have to navigate it yourself. Um, right. And yeah, I think the first, I mean, here's a big thing. I think it's about asking this question, being cognizant of it, because you're never going to establish these rhythms if you're not looking for the rhythms. And I feel like that's kind of where you're at right now. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, what are the rhythms that work and are sustainable? Uh, and the first step of that is just being attentive to it and asking. And so I think that's like, that's exactly where you have to be on it. Uh, it's something that takes a while yeah. to figure out. And one of the things I was just thinking is, um, I wonder if it'd be helpful if you kind of switched up a context too, like just grabbing a guitar and going out in the park or something and just mm. kind of playing around to yourself or, I don't know, do you move a lot? Like, do you always work like at your desk? I know a lot of your stuff is, you know, um, on the computer, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, maybe switching up a context could be fun or interesting. I know it helps yeah, me I like that to idea. go outside sometimes and write. Or just like physically move and it's like yeah. I'm doing a different task in a different way in a different place. Yeah, I like that. I sometimes work on a kitchen table, sometimes work at this desk. Those are my two main places. Um, might go record somewhere else. So I I I could definitely experiment with that for sure. And I I think definitely the big thing for me that I'm feeling more interested in doing is just making funny or goofy or playful art of some sort and not posting it, not sharing it with anyone, but just needing to go back. I think I need to go back to some kind of what can I make that's like goofy or fun for me and feels really light and life giving. And maybe it's just something that I share with a friend for a joke or share with no one. You know what I mean? Cause I think maybe that could get me back to, uh, feeling lighter about the work and not feeling like everything is going to be shared. Cause I, I think it's pretty simple. I think it comes down for me to, if everything's going to be shared that I'm creating right now, I need it to sound good and not sound weird or break any rules or ruffle any feathers. It needs to just be yeah. like good, but that's not really like none of the art that I appreciate is that it's like either weird or, you know, makes a big statement or a bold yeah. statement or pushes the limits. Like it's, so you got to do weird risky things to get to those places and you're probably going to say the wrong thing or say something they shouldn't say. And then you have to wrestle with, okay, do I put this out? But you can't be safe with everything, especially not when you're in that step one, create, coming up with a bunch of ideas and just making concepts before you refine. So that's, I mean, that also plays in here. I hadn't thought about that, but really if you get refinement before creation in a way, it can really stifle how much you, how how you sustain yourself through the work? I think it puts a lot of pressure. Absolutely, you know. Absolutely. I mean that that goes back to our revision discussion of like you've got to yeah. if you're set in down in the weeds on the minutia of the local concerns, it's just I mean you're just setting yourself up to hit walls. I feel like, mm-hmm. um, and you know one of the things that I was thinking about too within this conversation of kind of circling back to a, you know why do we need this, which I think we've talked yes. a lot about tonight uh, i wrote down right because art is not like doing the dishes uh and what i was trying to to get at here is when you're doing the dishes right there's not like it's not really taxing 
in the same way that creating is, right? You've got something that's very replicable. You clean the same plates. As long as you've got the physical energy, right? You can go, you can do the dishes. They're either dirty yes. and then they're clean. It's a simple task. Take the dirty dishes, make them clean, whatever mood you're in, whatever. As long as you've got the will and the energy to do it, right? It's going to be a replicable task that's the same way every time. Creative work is like not replicable like that. Like it's more taxing. And when you finish the dishes, maybe you're a little tired and your hands are a little clammy from being in the soap water. Uh, but but you're not, there's not something that's a loss. Like there's a loss that accompanies creative work. Like even in a good day of creative work, and you've just poured out something and you've made something that you're really excited about. It's like you've been emptied of something. And when people talk about that, I think, metaphor correctly, like there's a tax or there's a loss or there's an emptying that happens in creative work that unless you find some way to balance that or to fill that or to be more holistic, uh, you just can't. I mean, you could sit down and grind out dishes every day, but you can't just sit down and grind out creative work. Like it's just a it's different. I mean, we as human beings respond to creative work in a different way than we would with like doing these replicable tasks. Do, do you have any thoughts yeah. on that? Like, does that, oh, does yeah. that seem? Well, it's funny. Cause I mean, dishes can even be the opposite. Like dishes can be something that you would do. You're, you're having a, you a bad day. You're stressed and frustrated. It's like, let me just go do some dishes. Cause I don't want to think it's like, it's actually easier to do when things are hard. But if you're in a bad headspace, you're having an argument with someone, you're struggling, you're, you're feeling extra insecurities because of something you like are in that emotional space that, and then you go and you're trying to write about a song about something confident and strong. And, and you're just like, you can't do it, you know? And you can't just, it's just not the same as a dish. Like you said, it's an emptying. And a lot of times creative work is this personal message or this personal thing that you've experienced that you're sharing with the world. And so you're emptying yourself of that experience for others, sharing what you're learning or what you're feeling Sometimes it's very cathartic and therapeutic and helpful, but other times, I mean, just in general, I mean, what, what my mentor said to me a few weeks ago was when talking about the inspiration and the music and things like that, he was like, it almost feels like you have injured yourself. You're like a a weightlifter. You've you've pulled a muscle lifting. And so you're going to go back into the gym now and you need to just hold the bar and just lift the bar. No weights on it. Because you you could put more weight on, but you just pulled a muscle, and so you want to work on your form. Dude, you just that's get so that good. Form right. That's and such a good. I metaphor. thought that was such a good. Yeah, he, he had, it was great, and I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm feeling. Like, I feel like, you know, I went through a season of working really hard, kind of strained myself a bit, got a little burnt out, and so now I need to just go back, open Recover. up Ableton, and work on music, but. I'm not putting anything out. I'm not putting the weights on. I'm just working on my form, just working on the fundamentals. And if you, cause if you don't work on your form and you just keep putting more and more weight on, you can do great things until you pop your muscle exactly. and then you're out for your career. Sure. And that's really, sure. that's the whole concept of sustain is, Oh, I wish we trying had that to do this early. For, <laughs> that was trying to do this for the long term. you know, like trying to, to be lifting weights still in 1530, 50 years. That was something else he said in this keep going book. He said, I don't, I don't even read the 30 under 30 list. I want to be on the eight over 80 list. Like 
the people who are found the thing that they love doing and they kept doing it into their eighties. And, uh, you know, obviously that's not the same for everyone. You're probably not going to be like a yeah, Olympic gymnast in your eighties necessarily, but, um, it was a metaphor. Yeah, Cut us a break. The long, the long term, you know, it's just, that's what it is. Sustain. Yeah. I like the connection you made with recover. Um, that's kind of the big one, right? Big sustain is recovery, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. getting ready for the next project. And then there's the, the micro sustain, which is within the process. Um, so recovery, I think it's a great, it's a great analogy. Love it, man. Do you have any more thoughts or things that you, you'd wanted to sh- share? I think we've hit most of what I wanted to touch on, but I think I would, the last thing I'll say is really think about the question, where, where do you sustain? Because I think that's huge uh, for me at least, right? It's getting mm-hmm. outside, it's getting into nature. Um, yeah. It's doing something that's very much outside of my day-to-day schedule. Um, and I think it's really valuable. So I would encourage, mm-hmm. you know, whoever's listening, <laughs> uh, think about where you recover and where you are you know, um, sustain and how your physical like presence in a place is important. Uh, not only for in the work, you know, day to day, but also for kind of the big things. I mean, we're, what we're trying to get at, I feel like in a vacation sometime is that, and it, we can have a whole episode about creative vacations or just like how yes. vacations can become like really you know, almost unhealthy. But the idea of a vacation is literally to move, to go somewhere, to recover, to sustain, uh, and you can't, it can't be so much pressure on it, but I don't know. Be mindful of place. I'm always going to feel like say that you're embodied when you're working, you're in a place, mm-hmm. you're in an environment, thinking about that, being intentional with that. I think that's important for sustaining. I love that. I just love the ideas you've kind of driven in tonight about doing things, um, being aware of your environment, doing things slowly, having a routine, being aware of what tools you're using and, uh, where you're working and just the just all the really tactile things that go into sitting down and creating. There's something that's really, you know, it can it's kind of a a bit of a meme in music production that like there's this constant itch to buy gear and try gear out and stuff, and it's it doesn't help make you better at all. It just you spend more money, you know. It's just, but at the same time, there's something about like when I do see these like really beautiful studios with all this equipment and like some incense burning and it's just to- candles lit and it's total, just really great ambient vibe. It's like, there's something about that. It's peaceful and evokes creativity. And so I just love this, this sort of idea of slowing down and appreciating where you are and what environment is around you. And as you kind of sustain in the day to day. Yeah, man. It's been great, man. Yeah. I think that's a good place to wrap up and, Wrapping up this episode on sustain, but also wrapping up the four-part creative principles series. I'm glad that we've got these out here. I'm excited because, really, I think we're going to come back. We're going to reference this a lot, uh, and this is going to be fundamental to the craft. So I'm excited for that, uh, getting this groundwork laid for more episodes to come. If you've got any recommendations on how we might sustain or you want to share how you try to sustain and what that looks like for you, email us at Hey craft. Oh, okay. What's the email? Hey craft podcast. Yeah. Hey, I almost, I almost shot for it, but Hey craft podcast, uh, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We want to, we want to hear your thoughts about, uh, how you sustain, why you sustain, where you sustain. This will be a 
conversation that we're probably going to come back because it's a creative first principle uh, and talk about very specific things that are within this umbrella. Definitely. And, and now that you've listened to these four, you've heard the framework, please send us feedback on you know what you do want us to talk about in the next episodes because this really was our kind of big picture vision. These are the big buckets of things we want to talk about. Our orthodoxy here. <laughs> Creative orthodoxy. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you have a topic or idea, something that you really feel passionate about, you want to talk about, send us an email at Haycraft Podcast. And um, that's it. See you guys in the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby, where we share what we're learning about the creative process. If you're a writer, music producer, marketer, filmmaker, photographer, or you just love creativity, then this show is for you. Our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewelldesign.com. That's Elizabeth, N-E-W-E-L-L, design.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. If you like the show, there's three things you can do to help us out. First, subscribe so you learn when we post new episodes. Second, send the link to one of your friends who you think would enjoy the show. Uh, Really, word of mouth is going to be the the number one way we grow the show in any way. And three, if you have a topic you want us to cover or feedback about how we can improve the show or comments on what we've said, you can respond to heycraftpodcast at gmail.com. H-E-Y-C-R-A-F-T podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.